Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Okay, so 
I want to talk to you this week about something that I have seen really, really, really consistently this school year. And I see it in many facets. I've seen it in my own group of friends and family. I have seen it in literally tens of clients this year. I've seen it in adults. I've seen it in my own kids. I want to talk about lack of coping skills. And I want to think about this, you know, kind of in context of like what we have all experienced over the last several years and then what grades kids are in. I had not really thought about fourth graders. And I had a friend ask me recently if I had a bunch of fourth graders in my practice. And I was like, I do. I hadn't really thought about it, but I do. And so we're going to talk about fourth graders as well. So exciting. And we also have exciting things on the horizon here at the podcast. Starting, I think, next week, if not next week, the following week, we are going to embark on a little parent series. We're not going to do it week after week after week. We're going to intersperse some episodes where I am interviewing a lot of my friends or parents that I have met on the internet, uh, on social media, on Instagram, et cetera, where we kind of hear about their experiences and I just basically chat with parents that I think have figured out one particular thing really, really well. And I want for them to share experiences with you so that, you know, you can learn from them. So if you have a parent in mind that you think I should interview, certainly let me know. We can carry this on into the new year if we, if we get enough people. All right. Back to coping skills. I have had a rash of uh, of kids that have gotten in significant disciplinary trouble this year, this school year, the 23-24 school year, towards the beginning of the semester. And I think for a lot of them, it has simply been that they find themselves with a stress. And, you know, the stress could be significant or, frankly, I mean, in some cases, pretty insignificant. And then they immediately go to saying something extremely dangerous. So we're talking you know, sometimes even like threats against a school or threats against a a friend or something like super significant like that, which obviously is scary stuff. But then when, you know, the people that have the tools and, and skills to investigate these comments or these actions or whatever the kids are doing, they they are universally coming back as zero threat at all. And what the child actually needs is coping skills. They actually need ways to get themselves out of these circumstances so that they don't just act impulsively and really, really dramatically. So I think that's what's happening. Kids are kind of going to like superlatives. You know, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's like a thousand degrees of an overreaction for what circumstance they're actually facing. And then there's kind of this other like wave of people where you see that kids, kids these days, are not as able to hang in there through the tough stuff, through the the stuff that just requires like pure grit to get through. I am seeing a lot of my clients that are leaving things that are really, really important to them. So leaving sports that are important to them, leaving activities that that meet like super early in the morning or super late at night or on the weekends because, well, it's just not super convenient, right? Like they want to go to the mall or they want to go out with their friends or they want to stay in bed and play video games. 
And uh, it's just not super convenient for them to be doing their Bible study or their basketball team or their private dance. And parents are like, gosh, what private dance brought to my life was structure and exercise and regulation and social engagement and all these things. And like, I'm okay if my kid fell out of love with dance, but we need the structure and the socialization and the exercise and the regulation that dance brought. So how do we get that without doing this super intense dance, right? And it's tricky. I think it is really tricky. And I am observing kids, like I said, in so many areas of my life that are experiencing this kind of stress. So over the last few weeks, I have done a lot of look into with coping skills. I have someone that is really interested in coming to the tutoring center to work who owns a coping skills curriculum for middle schoolers. And I'm really excited to see if if that is going to be a good fit for us. But in the meantime, while we're figuring that out, I, I've done quite a bit of reading about this. So I've got a little list that I've got made over here. And I just want to walk you through, oh, 12 or 13 ideas on how to help your children develop and hone their coping skills so that when the going gets tough, the tough get going and they don't just quit everything and stay in their bed and scroll on their phone or play video games. Because that's what I'm seeing a lot of. So the first thing is complete and utter open communication. Talking to your child about their actual feelings instead of like, I hate dance. Or, you know, I was really sad when I experienced that breakup. You know, right? Because as I said, like a lot of it is kids that are kind of leaving things that have been really important to them for their entire lives. And then the other side of things that I'm seeing is kids are experiencing these stressors, like a breakup, and they don't know how to cope with it. And so really kind of talking to them about it's okay to have these emotions and talking about your own experiences. You know, I had a breakup when I was your age and this is how it went, or I didn't have a breakup until this age. And, you know, it's really great that you're experiencing these troubles when you are your age, because look at what happened to me or, or you know, putting them with other people that have had similar experiences, listening without judgment, and just making sure that you know that their feelings are validated. I think that helps a whole lot. Of course, a piece to this, and this is number two, is Teaching kids how to have that emotional awareness, teaching kids to actually feel their feelings. Now, you know, if your child has sensory processing disorder or developmental delay or something like that, this falls in the category of enteroception. But if you have an otherwise healthy, pubescent teenager, preteen that might have like ADHD or anxiety, depression, that kind of thing or may or may not, honestly, they still might have trouble with emotional awareness. And, you know, I kind of put this into the context of what kids have gone through, but the whole world has gone through since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. And, you know, my goodness, we all, like our lives changed so, so significantly and so quickly in unprecedented ways, right? And so, Adults didn't know how to fly the airplane. Kids didn't know how to fly the airplane. And a lot of times we were all kind of flying the airplane together. Things were changing at rapid paces. And then we got this like extreme divide in our country. 
And so we had adults like teachers and parents and counselors that were trying to figure things out, like trying to figure out telehealth and trying to figure out how to teach you online and trying to figure out whether or not you could open and all that stuff. And parents that were frustrated and confused and trying to fly the airplane and oh my gosh, kids are in the middle of it. And they're like, do I go this way or do I go that way? And then all that divisiveness happened. And no wonder it was super duper, pooper scooper, (laughs) stressful, right? And so I think what happened, and I am not an expert in this, but I've talked to enough people and I've read enough to realize that I think what happened was kids decided, oh, this is too hard. And so they dove into other coping strategies. They dove into their phones to distract them. They dove, dove into video games. And in a lot of cases, and we're seeing this so, so much in middle schools and high schools, they drove into nicotine and THC in order to now think that they were assuaging their concerns, their feelings. They were, they were mitigating their feelings with chemicals. Obviously not healthy coping mechanisms at all. And so, but I'm seeing so, so, so much discipline around vape pens at school and so many kids that are coping with vape pens at school. And I don't think I've ever mentioned that on the podcast. And I think that's really important. Like out in the real world, I'm constantly talking to parents about, they need to start talking about this because one kid says, oh, I know how you can feel better. And I mean, they are everywhere, everywhere in schools. If you go to the bathroom in a school, reach into the toilet paper holder. I almost can guarantee you that you will find a vape pen. Okay. So the next thing, oh, okay. So we were talking about emotional awareness, like actually help your children say, could you be feeling anxious? Could you be feeling a little bit depressed? There was this time period when Griffin was in middle school during the pandemic that, you know, I was like, is he withdrawing or is he just a teenager? Right. And so we talked about it a lot and he would get so annoyed when I'm like, and he would say, no, mom, I'm not depressed. I'm a a middle school boy. And I'm like, okay, okay. But like, here's what it would feel like to be depressed. And do you have these feelings? Do you, do you ever feel bluesy and sad and like you don't want to get out of bed and that kind of stuff? Like talking about it, if you come from a place of love, yes, they're going to get annoyed. But if you come from a place of love and you're really open and you have these open conversations and you're talking about emotion, at the end of the day, what kids ultimately should feel is that it's okay to talk about these things and that it's tricky. It's tricky to identify and be aware of your emotions. Usually what I start off with is, you know, when sometimes I'm really cranky and then two days later I say, you guys, I am really sorry. I did not realize that my neck hurt. So that happens to me all the time. Like I have a couple of slip discs in my neck and it'll hurt. And I'm like really, 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 really grouchy. And then like two days later, I'll be like, I've been so grouchy. And then I realize, oh, well, no wonder my neck hurts. But I don't think about it. Like I don't allow myself to go to that pain spot. And if I'm aware of it, then I think of it and then I take some Advil and then I'm better. It's like such an easy strategy, right? So I teach them. I teach my kids like, I'm sorry that that happens to me. I'm sorry that I just mind over matter it. Emotional awareness. Okay, huge, huge, huge number three, stress management. How do we manage stress? We have to teach our kids healthy ways to manage stress. Deep breathing, mindfulness, meditation, exercise, structure, movement. We're going to talk about some of those strategies here in a second. The more we can utilize these techniques instead of unhealthy techniques, the best. For me, the best way that I can do this for my kids is A, model it and talk about it a lot. 
<laughs> I think my kids probably think that I am like a mental health, uh, like a, like really, really impaired by mental health because I talk about it so much, right? But I want them to know I'm going to go upstairs and meditate. I meditate every morning when I wake up in the bathtub because I'm already in the bath and I'm waiting for it to fill. So that's when I do my meditation. I I like this app called Peace in My Pocket. It's It's a really great app. I think it might be free. But I just do those things over and over and over again. And I keep thinking maybe someday it'll work. But I'm kidding. It, I do think it works. Or, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of yoga. Does anybody want to come with me? Or like, and I can do my yoga where they are, you know. And so they're seeing me model that a whole lot. But then the other thing that works in the Barlow household, and I don't know when I came up with this. Griffin was probably like in grade school, is if you are, if I send you to your room or someplace to calm down then you have to put every electronic device outside the room. So your watch, your AirPods, your phone. I have started to allow AirPods with music because obviously that's a good calm down strategy. Everything has to be outside your room. And the reason for that is I don't want for your only coping strategy to be scrolling through the internet, social media, games, whatever. I want for you to feel your emotions, to be able to process them with your brain and your body alone without utilizing the internet. Now, if you say, well, gosh, mom, I would like to do a guided meditation. Okay, that's something different. Like that's a good use of technology, but I'm going to know like uh, that's 12 minutes and sure, you can do it for 12 minutes. I'm coming back up in 15 because I don't want you on Instagram when you don't feel well. Instagram's like Russian roulette. You never know if you're going to get happy, super sad, inspiring, divisive, political, just newsworthy, sports, entertainment news. Like you never know what you're going to get. The next thing you scroll to is like, <sighs> or, <laughs> you know, and that is certainly not what you need when you are dysregulated. So um, for me, the biggest key to stress management for my kids is you have to figure it out. Like you have to use your body and I'll help you. You know, with Jack, a lot of times it's a hug. He needs proprioception, deep, deep pressure, but you've got to figure it out. So how can we manage stress? I always guide both of my kids to movement because they are very regulated by being outside and moving. Your kids might be different. Problem solving skills. How do we address problems and how do we address conflict? I'm an attorney. This is what I do. So, you know, if my kids are being unreasonable, that like TH thing, they'll take you down to their level. They'll take you down to their spinning. They'll take you down to their like complete lack of reason. I'll just say, you know, if you want to have a conversation about this, I'll have a conversation. But right now, you aren't making any sense. You aren't making any rational argument. If you want to tell me why or you want to strategize around my no and you want to um, somehow come to yes, great. But if you're just going to keep saying the same thing over and over again, I've already addressed it and the conversation's over. And then I actually make sure the conversation's over. I'm not coming down to their level. If they want to come up and they want to have a, a, a rational conversation with, the, with some collaboration and some problem solving, great. I'll do that all day long because I think that's good problem. I won't do it all day long. If my answer is no, my answer is no. But if I have some like leeway to give, then I'll, I'll allow the leeway to give. I also firmly believe that as parents, sometimes we just have to make a no a no in order to set the boundary. We were talking a few weeks ago about Halloween and Griffin said, oh, remember that year in middle school that you didn't let me go to Halloween? I remember it really well. He was just being completely unreasonable 
and it was during the pandemic. I can't remember if I wanted him to wear a mask or if I was like, you have to be home at a certain time. Maybe he had, he's always sick this week. Maybe he had a cough or something and I wanted him home at a certain time, but he was completely unreasonable. And at some point I was like, nope, you're not going. Sorry, you're not going. But he remembered it. And I don't think either of us remembered why. And that's not really all that important. What's important is that they know that you've got a boundary and that from time to time, the answer is going to be no. And they know that you're making those decisions to keep them healthy, safe, respectful, et cetera. So how can we teach them how to engage in that productive ideological conflict as opposed to just their principle-based like, well, I like candy. I'm going trick-or-treating. And you're like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So problem solving. Another big strategy that you can implement for your kids is a healthy lifestyle, that balance, the balance of work and play, the balance of school and sports, the balance of home and your faith and being a nice sibling and being a nice neighbor and all of that stuff. And when we think about healthy lifestyle, we're also thinking about our sleep and maybe taking a vitamin in the wintertime and all of those things, right? So if we can stress the importance of how all of those things come together to promote your general health and how we are better able to access our skills and strategies when we are utilizing a healthy lifestyle, then maybe we'll get to them, right? So a healthy body, the idea here is that a healthy body can handle the stress better. Time management. So, you know, I think for a lot of kids that are particularly like my example about the kid that wants to quit the private dance, right? It's not always private dance, but I'm just having so many clients that are saying something that used to be super duper important to my friend, to my child, a friend group, an activity, a sport, a an area of interest of study or whatever. I think for a lot of them, like it just gets hard. They want to be able to manage their social life, which is getting more exciting. A lot of them, this happens when they get their license because they feel a lot of independence. Maybe it's when they go to middle school because their social life like really opens up. So how can we help them to manage their time to realize that they can fit it all in if they are deliberate about it? So a lot of times what I say to my kids is it is like sometimes on Fridays, they're both home from after school until bedtime. And I'm like, okay, so you guys, it's 3.30 right now. And, you know, Jack, you're going to sleep at 7.30. Griffin, you're going to sleep at 10.30 or 11. What are we going to do for the next eight hours? We have eight hours. So, you know, if we bake something, it's an hour and a half long project. If we go out to dinner, that's an hour and a half. If we um, want to walk the dog, I hope she doesn't come running down here, then that is a, that can be a 12-minute activity. That could be a 45-minute activity. I'd like for you guys to play basketball for 30 minutes. So we talk about like, we have this, this amount of time and here's what we're going to fit in, especially kids with ADHD, anxiety, depression, mental health stuff, frontal lobe stuff. Excuse me. This is really, really hard for them to do. So we have to model it. And we also have to give them skills and strategies. Maybe that's lists. Maybe that's making a schedule. Maybe that is like putting stuff on a calendar. Maybe it's doing the same thing every day of the week. 
That's Jack's and my strategy. We pretty much do the same thing every day of the week. So Mondays, we swim laps. If it doesn't work out on Mondays because of my work schedule, then we swim laps on Tuesday. Then he's got a really busy afternoon on Wednesday with a bunch of activities. He and I go through our week kind of week by week. My grandmother did did this with cleaning. She cleaned like the same things every day of the week. So like Monday was vacuum and maybe wipe out the oven. And she was really, really, really neurotic about it. So like she might have cleaned her windows once a week. And Tuesday was change the beds and whatever. But it works. It works. So teaching them time management of like, yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too, but we have to be deliberate about our time. If we sit and scroll through Instagram until 10 o'clock at night and then we realize we have homework, well, yeah, it's going to be pretty hard to keep up with your elite cheerleading program under those circumstances. So time management is a huge component to this. And none of us are good at it. We're all super distracted by those boxes in our hands, our phones. But we've got to model it and we've got to teach them that. Number seven, if you're keeping track, positive self-talk. I had, so I see an integrative doctor, functional medicine doctor. And at one time she wanted for me to record everything that I was eating because I have some food sensitivities and I've got an autoimmune condition called Sjogren's and some other stuff. And we were trying to figure out like, my weight's always been a big question. You don't have to hear all of that. But we were trying to kind of figure out where a bunch of my inflammation was coming from. And she said, okay, write down everything you eat. And I was like, well, I would love to do that. However, I feel like that's a lot of negative energy. And I don't want to get stuck in a negative energy place because I am like a positive energy person. Surprise, surprise. And I, so I was like, what can I do to kind of combat? Like, I'm happy to do that. And she said, oh, that's awesome. She was like, so there are two different strategies that you can import here. Import? Import? That you can put into place. One is to write down your worries. If you write down your worries, your concerns, your fears, your like, for me, anxious thoughts, it actually moves them from like the blah, 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 which is the worry center of your brain. That's probably a frontal lobe. To the blah, 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 which is the fine motor part of your brain. So they've literally done functional, functional MRIs to look at people that utilize like, uh, that utilize the strategy. Sorry, I got distracted. I got a text from Jack's teacher. Okay, they, they did functional MRIs from people that utilize the strategy. And they realized that when you start to write, that obviously that part of your brain lights up, but it stays lit up longer, I guess, which means that you have successfully moved that from worry, 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 worry to a different part of the brain, maybe temporarily, maybe long term, but that is an effective strategy. And people also report better coping skills and feelings after they've written down their concerns. And I was like, okay, but see, that's still negative for me. Like, I'm still not writing down my worries. And she was like, do gratitude. At the end of every single one of those things, write three things that day that you were grateful for, three great things, three beautiful things that you noticed, three things that you're grateful for, like, you know, the Oprah Gratitude Journal. I did that for a solid year, and I absolutely thought that worked. Another thing that she talked to me about, we're still in positive self-talk, was framework shifting. So, I mean, by the way, positive self-talk itself is like, you got this, you can do it, you're awesome, whatever, mantras, 
you know, that kind of stuff. And I've got one more that I'll talk to you about, about positive self-talk specifically. But framework shifting, like there are so many days that I think, oh my God, nobody else has to take their kid's speech. This is exhausting. Or like today I had to go get Jack. He was locking Griffin out of the car. Griffin was trying to drop him off at school and I had to go up there as barefoot. My hair isn't done, still isn't done. And run up to school because Jack couldn't get out of the car. And, and Griffin has sent me 700 text messages for a water bottle today. You know, like, life is hard. And I'm like, I'm not going up there twice. I heard a Gail job that's taking you a water bottle. So, but, but the idea of, like, okay, how can I shift this into framework? Well, he wants a water bottle. Guess what? He is a really good athlete. And he does have ADHD. And I do, too. And, you know, I didn't remind him to take his water bottle. And he did have a stressful morning. God, am I ever lucky to have a kid that just wants to drink water during the day? Like he's not drinking energy drinks. He wants water. Okay, maybe I'll take him a water bottle. You know, so like, am I ever lucky that? How lucky am I to be raising Jack? Yes, it is hard and it is stressful. So when I start going down this like self-pity path, then I try to shift the framework and think, how lucky are we that we have these therapists, that we have such an amazing children's hospital? There are people that would give their arm and their leg to be able to go to Cincinnati Children's Hospital a few times a week like we do in order to have this amazing healthcare and therapeutic care for their kids. So we try to do these framework shifts. The last one that I'll talk about is, in positive self-talk, is utilizing mantras that are, like, repeated. So every night before Jack goes to bed, he and I say, I am strong, I am smart, I am, wait, hang on. I am, I am smart, I am kind, I am handsome, I am Jack. And then I say, and that is just right for me. Because I want him to know he is extremely smart. <laughs> his IQ is, I mean, we have no idea what his IQ is, but cognitively, does he have an impairment? Absolutely. But man, that kid is manipulative. His fluid reasoning is, is incredible. His, his problem solving is out of this world. His planning is actually very good. So... You know, I want him to know how smart he is. I want him to know how handsome he is because, A, that's something that he can capitalize on. But also the world is telling us that people that look like Jack are not handsome. And he is devilishly handsome. Not that it really even matters, but if the world thinks it matters, I want to reinforce the fact that he is handsome. I am kind, you know, gosh, what's uh, something something to capitalize on. I am kind. And then finally, I am Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sense of self. Yeah, you're Jack. You are Jack. There's only one Jack Barlow. That's for sure. There is only one bundle of cells with his genetic makeup. And that is something to celebrate. And so then I say, yeah, that's just right for me. That's exactly what I wanted. I also tell him you're everything I asked for from God. You're everything I ever wanted. So this positive self-talk is really, really, really helpful for a lot of kids. Number eight is just coping strategies, right? You can Google a list of coping strategies. It might be journaling. It might be drawing. It might be hobbies. It might be taking a walk. It might be doing yoga. It might be listening to music, right? It could be anything that works for you. Google a list and try them out. Do like a little menu. You know, I'm feeling this way. What can I do so that I'm not eating a bag full of Doritos? What can I do so that I'm not super snarky? What can I do so that, like, think about something that just drives you crazy. You know, your relationship with your mom or like whatever it is. 
Think about that when you get triggered and think, okay, I'm going to try to knit during that time and see if it is helpful. So just utilize some coping strategies and see what happens with your children. Then the last thing that I'll talk about is the fact that it is okay to seek professional help. It is okay to go to a counselor, to go to a therapist, to go to your pediatrician, to go someplace and say, you know, I think my kid could use some positive coping strategies. Who can teach this? There are literally curricula that help you learn coping strategies. There are things in school. There are things outpatient. There are things that therapists, like even speech therapists and and an occupational therapist can do. And then, of course, there's mental health professionals that can help us with coping skills. We have to learn them, and then we have to be able to utilize them in the moment. It's not easy. It is not easy. I go to a bag of Fritos way too often. <laughs> but it is something that we should all continue to work on at all times and something we should model for our kids. Okay. That's what I have to say about coping skills. We're going to start our parent highlight our parent feature here coming up, I think, next week. And so I will see you next week. Same time, same place. Have a great week.